brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Because I had so much attention at a very young age with surfing, you know, like I was only 15, barely 15 when I started, and that's young. Internationally, it's 16. And 16, if you can think back, you know, you you are still a kid. And I think when my kids grow up a little bit, it was a way for me to sort of relive part of my childhood. A lot of years that I was carrying um, that, the weight of that attention. Oh yeah, that was our subject for tonight. Legendary surfer, shaper, all around incredible human being, Mr. Wayne Lynch. Uh, had this interview with him back in 2013, pretty Psyched that we were able to record it and we're able to air it for you tonight on Swell Season Surf Radio. You can find us live on kpiss.fm. And we have an awesome show for you. We're also going to be dealing with uh, our rebuttal from the uh, gas pipeline uh, to our show from last week. So we have an action-packed show. Going to be a lot of fun, right, Ben? Indeed, indeed. It's always, you know, since we joined up, I knew we were going to dive into some incredible archival audio that hadn't been aired. And this is a prime example of this interview with Wayne Lynch. Uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed getting to know this master. You did a really good job. Uh, indeed, a full show. Um, we will get into the gas line pipeline response from this is Sir, uh, Noel Picone of last week's um, Opposition to the pipeline, and guess what? The industry is listening, and they wrote us an email. Wow. And uh, so we, because we want to get deeper into this subject. And get both sides. And get both sides. We're going to, right now, um, we're going to play Noelle's um, comments uh, from last week's interview, which you should check out on Swell Season Serve Radio. And com. D- dot com. <laughs> uh, SoundCloud. On Stitcher, iTunes, and, and Mixcloud. What? 
And you're not list- Google Play yet. Not Google Play yet. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Swell Season Surf Radio is broadcast out of the studio of KPIS.FM here in the corner of Bushwick and bed the Golden Stream. And uh, speaking of Golden Stream, the people that keeps us pissing in the middle of the episodes, Austin East Siders, thank you for supporting. <laughs> and then... We got some waves coming this week, too. I'm totally fired up about these waves because I've been really out of the picture, um, but I'm finally ready to gear up and hit it. I'm feeling a lot better about um, my uh, my body, the capacity to get out there, and, and, and it's sort of built on watching all of the glory yeah. <laughs> from afar. It's either been work or injury, whatever. It's a bullshit excuse to get me away from those frosty yeah. barrels. Well... You're about to tuck into them as we're about to tuck into these. So let's start with Surfrider because we got a big show. We got to fit a lot in within the hour. Let's start uh, with the the little recap of last week's show and let's read off their resp- the gas industry or gas pipelines response. Yes. Yeah, so last week we had um, two two interviews. We had Noel Picone of the Surfrider Foundation outlining. Um, why that organization is opposing an extension of an exist uh, an extension of a uh, gas pipeline from New Jersey into Rockaway Queens. Um, this is by the Williams Transco Company. One of the big issues that came up, uh, and you were right to really get into this. And uh, again, folks, listen to last week's show. Um, is this organization called FERC, the mm-hmm. Federal Federal Energy Regulatory Regulation. Commission, mm-hmm. and they're the group that essentially uh, approves these pipelines around the country. And uh, Noel's point of view uh, was that they, they're essentially an industry rubber stamper. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get shown a proposal and they stamp it and approve it. Now, the re- so, so, that, so there's a lot to learn about that and we'll probably follow up more, but um, I'm going to play Noel's the sound from the interview, and then I'm going to read from uh, the rebuttal. And we're going to do three of these real quickly. This is Paul McKay of the Interstate National Gas Association of America, who yeah. was our, our other guest last week. And uh, he was listening, and he wrote me an email the next day with these responses. So I, I literally copied and pasted, pasted his response. So I'll, I'll play Surfrider Foundation first. This is Noel Picone, and then we'll, we'll read the rebuttal. In the environmental community, FERC is pretty much known as a rubber stamp on on, pi- on gas pipelines. You know, we're talking about a gas pipeline. Um, I think in the last, or maybe even in their history, they've uh, they've denied two pipelines, one or two out of uh, however many pipelines are in the country. Hundreds? All that they all go to FERC. Okay, so uh, that Surfrider Foundation again, folks. FERC is the group that approves the federal agency that approves. The pipeline's uh, a bigger, more complex story, but we're, we just want to get into balancing it out today. So this is from Paul McKay of INGA, the Interstate National Natural Gas Association of America. He writes, FERC uses precedent agreements as part of its findings uh, of need, meaning operators must have firm contracts with utilities or industry consumers, more of the former, before they can build a line. Moreover, that process is iterative. And so the reason FERC doesn't usually deny pipelines is that the route has been changed over and over to address environmental sensitivities before it's ever approved. 
So, is, so is that is that how Paul you think really speaks? <laughs> <That's good. laughs> um, Sorry, Paul is more of a sort of I'm going to say more of a mid Atlantic accent. I'm not. He's a very nice guy, very thoughtful guy. Uh, no, so mean, I'm just I'm reading in my yeah. Head, no, I know. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, well, that's that's really interesting. But it's also it says a precedent. But how do we know those precedences weren't set by rubber stamping as well? Exactly, and I think what he means is that yeah. also that the state that there's been so many passes by the state and other groups through the f- through the environmental impact process um, that once it gets to them, all of the issues have been worked out and it's sent back to Williams. Again, we want to return to this subject yeah. a few we're, times. This is going to be something we're yeah. going to continue on. So, uh, so what what we're talking about is demand here. So. Um, why are they expanding this pipeline is to increase gas gas capacity to the city. This is something that Noelle contests. Uh, Noelle, um, and I'll play her sound right now, says that there's really no need for this pipeline um, in that uh, despite uh, oil uh, furnaces being changed over to natural gas mm-hmm. citywide, that the this pipeline offshore is really to supply the Brooklyn area to natural grid and that they that has not been shown that there's enough demand for additional capacity. Here is her. Uh, this is a Surf Rudder Foundation on uh, the demand question. Um, so Surf Rider, as part of this campaign, made an application. It's called a FOIA request and basically asked FERC to um, unredact that portion of the application, and we cited our reasons why. We wanted to see the... The consumer data you want to be able to assess it, and since National Grid's the only um, client of the for this gas, then really, really, because they cite trade secrets and issues about competition among you know fossil fuel companies. But if National Grid's the only client, for a better word, then why does it have to be redacted and so secret? Okay, and this is Paul McKay's response from the uh, Natural Gas yep. Association of America. So, in regard to the studies, you couldn't find demonstrating need. Those firm contracts demonstrate the need for the line and probably aren't released from, I'm reading verbatim here, released from between FERC and the company until a pipeline is built, as that information is proprietary for the reason of competition. And he writes in parentheses, that last part is in con- is, is a conjecture, but my point is that the analysis for economic need is integral to the approval process. I would imagine there are studies or should be studies to show that there is a demand as a voter of new york state i would like to see that before i make any sort of decision on a pipeline or anything so paul if you are listening provide us with some info provide us with some data that shows the increase in usage and that we need it this this should be a public uh document no I mean, that that seems kind of ridiculous that we wouldn't have that access. And to follow up on what Noel said further in the mm-hmm. interview, the sole, the sole customer is National Grid. And if you live in Queens, Brooklyn, yeah. Staten Island, that is your, that's, your, that's your utility. And uh, so that the, that they, the, the concept of uh, competition regarding yeah. pricing, which should be public anyway, is a little fuzzy. But uh, I mean, what do you mean competition? I thought they're a monopoly. monopoly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, side note, because we swell season would like to continue with the story. I did reach out to National Grid to get yeah. a comment on 
the uh, power purchase agreement, on the d- overall demand for the product, and uh, hopefully we'll have follow-up. Okay, nice. last last uh, sound uh, from Noel Pacone of Surfrider Foundation and the response, and this has to do with the safety uh, of these pipelines, which we spent a lot of time talking about, given that they're, when things go bad with the pipeline, it goes really bad. So yeah. this is... Uh, uh, this is Noel But the problem here is that w- how are you monitoring a 23-mile offshore pipeline hmm. in the middle of New York Harbor? You're, n- you're not. There's not going to be someone there every day, you know, monitoring this out in the ocean, period. There's just not. And so, you know, he speaks about this um, technology that's supposed to, tur- you know, automatically turns off the gas if the pressure is different. And I've heard of this before. I, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it's even installed by them, and I don't know who monitors that, but that doesn't really solve the problem if you're sh- even if you can shut off the gas, um, f- you know, additional gas from entering a pipeline because there's a change in pressure, well, there's still gas in the pipeline. The existing gas is there, and it's leaking and or exploding. So the f- even if that is true and they, can, and they can turn off additional gas from going into the pipeline when there is a perceived issue that doesn't solve the problem of gas leaking into our harbor... Okay. Wait, uh, let me guess what, what's, what Paul's answer uh, is. Go for it. We got plenty. We got Scuba Steve monitoring the pipelines. Scuba Steve. Sorry. Big Daddy. Had, had to make light of it. I was just like, I imagined it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and the email response from Paul McKay of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America was, your guests seem to state that in the event of emergency involving a leak, an entire... 1,000-mile line would be at risk for losing all its product. The monitoring network I described is built to avoid that. With with remote valve shutoffs that take sections off the system completely offline, effectively separating it from the rest of the line, meaning the entire contents would not leak. There are, there are always eyes on the conditions of, of a system and each of its parts, especially for those in high-density areas with routine in-person patrols supplementing that. Your guest denied that as the case, not really citing anything but intuition. You know, he makes a very good point, and I can see um, what he's saying about shutting off, and especially if pipeline have like certain fragments or cutoff points. Yeah, not all of it is going to be released into the water. What I find interesting, though, is we did talk quite a bit on the last show, like backup plans. What are they? And I'm surprised Paul did not uh, respond with any any sort of backup plans of what happens if the pipeline does break. There is an issue. What happens? What is the the contingency of fixing it, repairing it, containing it? You know, uh, not just like the pipeline itself, but, you know, let's say there is an explosion. Let's say there is an, a leak. What are the plans and who do they have them in place? Like, I just want to know that. That was my... My big thing, then obviously the the negative, you know, all the, the what I pressed Noel on, like what will happen to us? Uh, he didn't address like the the digging up of all the heavy sediments yes, yes. while putting the pipeline in the water, which PCB. for surfers uh, is probably like the biggest concern with this pipeline. So to me, like he still hasn't fully addressed my concerns, and I would love like for us to have a another back and forth with him and see what he can come up with uh ben because 
to me, that is actually the the thing that that alarms me more. Actually, is the digging up of sediment and the effects on the environment and the community and the beaches during summer and the whole community. It's a great point, and uh, we will be following this yeah. as and uh, in, in, in getting more into all of these questions. Paul, I, I should state that uh, Paul McKay uh, doesn't does not. Uh, work for a represent well he works for a a trade organization not williams transco the company that owns and operates and will install this pipeline um but we have a lot of questions to follow up on and uh we will follow up more uh you know over the next month when this uh proposal uh gets in front of uh, more eyeballs including the environmental impact statement and upstate and albany and, and most likely new jersey so stay tuned to that yes. now for our feature yes show yes why don't you set this up again we'll go right into All it right. it's i believe it was june 2013 had an opportunity uh to promote wayne lynch was coming through new york to promote uncharted waters his uh biofilm uh and Patagonia had actually asked me to help promote it. And then my friend Dave uh, from Wax Magazine had, asked, had gotten an opportunity to interview him and photograph Wayne. And so he asked if I would be the one that would come in and do the interview with him. What follows is one of the greatest geek out sessions of my whole life. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can tell. I mean, so Wayne lived for background. For folks that know who Wayne Lynch is, like legendary it's, Australian. This guy. guy, like Wayne, for those of you who don't know, like he was Slater before Slater. He was MR before MR. He was like Nat Young's protege. But this guy invented modern surfing. Like Nat and Bob McTavish have been credited with a lot of modern surfing and shortboard revolution. Although Dick Brewer and Jerry Lopez might have another opinion. That's not. That's neither here nor there, or not for this, this conversation. But Wayne was really the guy who started doing top turns, top to bottom, big figure eight carving turns. Like he was ahead of everything, and then actually like walked away from it all because of the draft, Vietnam War, kind of semi reclusive, kind of kind of bushman almost, like someone who loves to go out into the bush surf gnarly balmy waves in southern australia with sharks around and it's cold like as hardcore as gnarly as you can get and probably one of the greatest surfboard shapers of all time uh yeah and he has an opinion about a lot of yeah, things he does and uh, but man like just such a radical surfer radical person really fascinating and truly one of my favorite interviews like totally surprised me on how cool he was and uh, i'm just so fortunate so stoked to be able to have recorded it and be able to have a forum like this where we can share this for our listeners awesome so this is wayne lynch from your interview back in 2013 and i should say you're gonna hear you're gonna hear (laughs) dave young and you're gonna hear rob kolasek and we'll be chit-chatting with them so enjoy thanks man (laughs) so i wanted to start um do you listen to music when you shave? Ah, uh, yeah. That's when I listen to more music than any other time, really. What do you What do you been listening? Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Too lately. Ooh, I guess for phases, as we all do. Um, uh, well, actually, just before I left, quite a bit of Santana. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went and saw him in concert, and I hadn't seen him for 30 years or something, so you know, it just made me re-listen to a lot of stuff. And he put out a new album not long ago with, you know, things like um, Sunshine of Your Love and all kinds of other tracks that aren't his. Yeah. And it was fantastic. So I've been listening to a lot of that. Harry Manx was another one. Do you know Harry Manx? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I have a, a very eclectic um, musical taste. So it just depends how I'm feeling. I go right through the whole spectrum. Nice. From, you know, basic Aboriginal traditional Aboriginal music in, in Australia right through to jazz and classical. Do you find that that affects how, um, the boards you, you shape or do you go, do you go in, when you go into the shaping bay, do you have an idea of what you want to shape always or? It's always custom work. I yeah. don't do custom work. Yeah. Apart from a couple of boards for the Patagonia store in Torquay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I have a fair idea of what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, it's all custom work, so you, you, you've got a person in mind, and a lot of my work comes from people that have been ordering boards for anything from 30 years to, you know, five years. So I have a, an understanding of what I'm trying to do for them or what they need now. Um, you know, a lot of my work, which is great, is still sort of gun, work, uh, gun boards. You know, what I call gun is anything from about... Six nine up or six seven up, really. Do you um, like shaping has changed a lot in, in the sense of like the, the industry has become gone to the model format, you mm-hmm. know. Whereas I guess when you grew up and, and, and you know over the years been shaping, it's been more individualized. You know, one like how do you how do you break down like a board for someone? You know, do you? Do you get to know the person first, or do you do you take sometimes just blank orders, or you know, uh, with with people requesting certain like specifics, or do you say, right, I know how you surf, this is what you're going to get, and that's that's kind of it. Um, no, look, it's it's a feeling, really. You, I, if I know the guys, yeah, pretty much up front, yeah, you know, I want a six seven for such and such, you know, yeah. Indo or whatever it is. So, you know, I've got a pretty good understanding because I've been making boards for a while. But if it's someone I don't know so well, I just get a feeling for asking what they want. They'll give me some dimensions, find out their weight, 
and that happens a bit because I, I get orders through the phone or internet, email, and really I just talk to them about their surfing. You know, how long have you been surfing? Where do you surf? You know, means a lot because yeah. if you've been surfing for a long time, you've got a, a bit of single fin technique in your surfing, and that that that's a big issue. Mm-hmm. More front foot pressure, etc., and you tend to have rounder arcs and all the rest of it. Um, you know, and the same with your age. If you're over about 20-something, usually you're not trying to break the tail free. It's, it's much more linear. Mm-hmm. So they're the, they're the factors, really. And, and, it's you know, it's a bit of intuitive guesswork. Mm-hmm. Calling out some people's BS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if guy tells me he really rips, I start to wonder. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I hear that. <laughs> in a day <laughs> and, and you know look I make certain kinds of boards and people come to me expecting that kind of board I've gotten to the point I mean even though they're single fins or tri-fins or quads it's still a type of board that yeah. I make and usually it's really good surf mm. not absolutely yeah but so they know pretty much they're coming to me for that type of board and that as I've grown older I've just stuck with that that, that general um, uh, surfboard style mm-hmm. rather than going to everything you know like I, I, I do make the single concave boards and that for the younger guys I mean I've been doing that always but it's not what I pers- pursue do you, I'm, I'm really pursuing the offshore perfect. chattery ledging sucking down you know meaty waves mm. with, with a little bit of power yeah something you don't have to pump no, they asked yesterday. And, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, look, I'm a, I've, even my own little gravel board, you know, it's six, it's a bit long actually, I've got to make a shorter one. It's, it's around six one, it's 20 and a half, and it's two and, nearly two and seven eighths, and it's wide and fat and flat, you know. So I'll, I'll do that stuff just to, just to get in the water, but I don't take it serious, whereas some people do. That yeah. type of surfing and those, those type of waves. I mean, especially if you're in a place where that's where you get a lot of. Like here. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, you know, so I adapted for them. Do you, um, do you find now, like, because you have uh, such a recognized name and a reputation, do you find you're able to charge a premium for your boards and have a better margin on them than, you know, maybe a lot of other shapers are, are able to? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think boards have been too cheap for years and years and years. I mean, I, I, in a sense, I made more money in the late 60s than I do now. It's relevant to the cost of living. Yeah. And, you know, and, and materials have gone up, and, and in Australia, our taxes have gone up on those materials, and really, the wages haven't gone up. Um, so, you know, the guy that glasses my board has been doing it for... A, 25, 30 years, he charges more than most people. Like if you go up into Queensland, mm-hmm. they make boards and sell them for retail what we buy our materials for. And everybody takes such a, well, you know, virtually not exactly, but small. And they take such small amounts of money and they produce more surfboards and they try to make it up that way. And I think that's kind of failed the industry, personally. And it's failed those people a lot of the time. A lot of the time. In the end, they just can't keep doing it because everyone's working for wages, mm-hmm. and you know you can only pump out 
you know, what do I got to figure, 500 boards a year for so many years before people don't really want to buy them anymore because they're everywhere. So to get back on the yeah, back on the um, question, I do charge more. I don't think I charge enough. No, probably not. No, and it's really hard. You know, look, so many people I, I've gotten to know through my work or friends of mine. You know, it's really hard to charge people a lot of money, and, and you know, the majority of people at surf aren't very well off. They're not. No. <laughs> you know, they haven't just one cast lotto or something like that so but I do I do put the price up more and I've probably got to put it up more again and I think it's good because if you make the board strong and you, I mean the, the workmanship and in, in the glassing and every aspect of my boards is, is just you know it's top quality and I've never had anyone complain yeah do you think like I mean I guess like there there is this you know do you think the problem with the industry then is that the shapers are com- are now trying to compete with foreign, you know, uh, imports that are cheaper, and you know, I I wonder like if 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 most shapers just jacked up their prices together in unison, like it would, you know, maybe make people think a little bit more about their boards or or you know and. You know, maybe those cheap imports might come in, but at least like, you know, the really good shapers might might be able to charge more of a premium. Like it should be like considered artwork instead yeah, of, of you know, a disposable, yeah. you know, piece of equipment. Yeah. What happened in Australia once that the Chinese um, flood came, mm-hmm. so to speak? Mm-hmm. It people just everywhere, their boards were everywhere, you know, and, and guys, like plumbers would get boards sent, I'm just using it as an example because I know someone who did it, would get boards sent out from China and sell them, you know, for $400 retail when everything else was 650 or 700 and it, it just became endemic and a lot of people shut down, a lot of glass shops shut down and then suddenly something happened and one of those was this, that the boards fell apart. The shaping wasn't, the, the shapes weren't that great. So it began to sort of just go to the people, entry level people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of glasses and glass shops refused to repair the, yeah. the boards when they broke or they just out again. And it just found, quite quickly, found its own level. Nice. Now, I don't know if that's true everywhere, but it was certainly true where I live. Mm-hmm. And on it, it's it's pretty. It's spread fairly far, I think. And so now it's gone back to suddenly people want custom work, and they want, um, you know, they want the quality. They want to feel good about this surfboard. They like, you know, surfboard's a beautiful thing. Very you, pleasing. You know, and you get to get something. You'll come in, you see all the work and ship in it, and the price is what say double a Chinese board that's plain or just sprayed fairly basic and. And you know it's going to fall apart, and it's quite impersonal. I think that that sense of interaction with shapers, or even if you don't have the interaction, at least you, or, or a close one, mm-hmm. you, at least you get something. And I think that's important. It's always been part of surfing. It's funny because that's in the article I wrote for you guys. Yeah. I wrote a whole thing on 3D printing and the future of surfboard manufacturing. And mm. 3D printers are going to eventually be able to probably print out the surfboard. 
instead yeah. of being shaped, but then there's this disconnect. There's a, like, board kind of loses soul or loses, like, yeah. some sort of feeling, you know, when it's not touched by a hand and there's something about it that just it becomes disposable, much like yeah. how I feel like a lot of music has become and, and a lot of surf movies even, you know, yeah. it's all put out for cheap and free online. You go through it real quick and then you're just... Yeah. done with it and it doesn't have any sentimental value I guess but you know and then look if some of the um, production boards you know if they're high tech um, construction materials mm-hmm. I think then it's more justifiable yeah and that's why I've, I took on the surf tech thing even though people I got ridiculed I never thought you'd do that I said wait I'll tell you about it firstly they're not sweatshops and they are putting materials and construction techniques that we can't do. Mm-hmm. We can't do them. Yeah. And now my boards have been reissued with um, organic foam. They've d- developed an organic foam and they're using bamboo instead of um, PVC. foam sandwich yeah. because that's very expensive and, in, and insanely uh, um, environmentally damaging. It's really not a good process, but high density foam. Well, they use PVC in those sandwich moulding too, which is like... <laughs> so all that's gone, yeah. and, it's, and it's bamboo, which is, you know, it's not a finite resource. Mm-hmm. And they developed an organic resin for it. So I've got this total... It's not completely organic, mm-hmm. but man, it's so close. So, you know, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is... So you, you, you're, you, like, I, I was kind of curious, I was going to ask, actually, your thoughts on, like, the being, you know, like how Bob McTavish works with global surf industries, yeah. and he has, you know, he doesn't make the boards, but he makes certain shapes and licenses it to yeah. them, I guess, and then they give him a royalty. Yeah. Like, do you think that's a pretty fair business model? Um, it's not one I would probably go to. Yeah. What I've done, what I just spoke about, yeah. that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know, and I've been asked to do my boards here, you know, in models, and I've, I've dabbled and I've done it with with some really, really good shapers and, that I really respect and, and great surfers over on the West Coast there. Tim Griffin was one mm-hmm. guy. And it was hard to do in, 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 a, in a world that's so, everything's so based on marketing now that you got to turn around and put money into this and money you know, and, and you're getting such a small amount out but you, again it comes down to this you've got to mass produce it or at least do a lot yeah you know I just I just go it's not worth it you know um, I would rather just do what I'm doing at home so you know yeah. I'm not sure I answered your question oh yeah no I mean yeah um, I, I always just fall back on my custom work. It's been like that for 50 years nearly, mm-hmm. and it works for me. I feel really good about it, you know, and apart from just that, that one little um, model base I have with SurfTech, I'm just happy with that. What um, what material materials are you working with now? Are you trying, experimenting um, with new stuff? Yeah, a little bit. It's... Australia's behind America with um, all those new phones. Yeah. You've got so many things going on over here that are really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know. The sugar-based ones. Yeah, and also, recycled plastic yeah. and on and on and on. And I don't, everything, you know, everything gets taxed so much in Australia. If we try to bring it in, we can't. Yeah. 
Marco Thyme I used. Yeah. Um, so at the moment it's a bit restrictive. Um, I use epoxy resins a lot yeah. just to help with longevity. Mm-hmm. And I know it's coming, but we just have to wait it out a bit down there. Have you gotten sick from being exposed to a lot of the materials? Yeah, I'm highly allergic to um, foam, normal, everyday foam. Um, all my mates say I'm allergic to work, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who is it, man? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so you have a, an acute reaction when you have to... <laughs> oh, man, and it's true, it's true. <laughs> I, I confess. They have a vaccination for that. <laughs> yeah, six months in Indo, six months in Fiji. It works. No, I got really sick from the phone and um, ended up, it, it, it broke my immune system down. And I, for nearly two years, I was sick all the time with the flu. Mm-hmm. Couldn't work out why. And as soon as I could go to work, I'd go back to work, you know, I'd get really bad doses, you know, when you get this flu and this flu, you know, and as soon as I'd go back to work, it'd come back on, you know, I might get a week at work and then bang, I'd be down, and it went on for nearly two years until it got to the point I I couldn't surf, but one, in the end I couldn't, I didn't surf for seven months, mm-hmm. I couldn't even paddle out, I had no energy, and when they finally, you know, I thought I had leukemia or something quite serious. And it was my immune system had been just broken down and they discovered um, things like acetone in my cell structure and uh, right throughout my entire, and I was, yeah. It took took about eight months to recover. And now I've got to wear, um, have you ever seen the wood lathe workers? Mm -hmm. Probably not, you know, know, they build it for them because I'm getting... um, Nasal cancer yeah. from the dust. From yeah. So I've got that, you know, with a little pack on the back. And yeah. And I'm meant to wear a asbestos removal suit with it. Like the one you wore in litmus? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I don't much. It's tough, I would imagine, yeah, to shave. Even with an air conditioner on. Cool. It just, but um, I keep my shaping room like a studio, like that thing's pretty clean. People walk in there and just go, wow, it's not like a, it's a shaping room, you know, or a, or a, or a uh, workshop. To make your, fun, your son sweep up? Yeah, got a vacuum, you know. <laughs> sprinkle, sprinkle a little bit of dust when they come, pretend I've been working. <laughs> the cobwebs on the plane are giving me away. You know, so when I'm, I'm planning, you know, it's in, in a... What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It goes into a big bin. Yeah. So the only dust I'm putting in that room is all the handwork. Yes. You know, there's, so there's ways around it to minimise it. And, you know, I bin it up and there's been a guy collecting that dust and using it for insulation in fridges. Oh, that's great. So, you know, there's ways to help things a little bit. But. What, um, so I want to change gears a little. Um, what was it like for you to... to to have to go back you let me rephrase it you seem like someone who thinks who's pretty much in the present and maybe forward thinking you don't seem like someone who who dwells on the past or thinks a lot about it no. what was it like for you to be making this movie and have to revisit all of those memories and 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 all all the things you've experienced it's ironic you say that because that was one of the speeches I gave when you want to ask me to, to make it. Yeah. So, well, you know, that's, you know, I'll talk about something to do with the past, you know, but not, I don't live in the past. I don't, it doesn't have a sort of, you know, I don't glorify it. Yeah. I'm, I'm fairly objective about what it was like. I mean, it was a great era. I mean, yeah. It can never happen again. Those pioneering years. I'm very envious. Years <laughs> don't, they're the, no matter what, you know, what, um, Activity it is for sailing, skiing, you know everything in our in our world. Yeah. The pioneering era is really unique; it can never be repeated. So yeah. I have a lot of fondness for that and, and respect mm-hmm. and gratitude. Yeah, but I don't dwell back there. You know, so there's no point. There's nothing to be gained by that, and that's why I don't do much true retro work. Even my single films, they're not retro. Yeah. Single film, only one is. Yeah. And um, I say it to people, I say, the boards weren't better then, or this, nothing was better, yeah. I can tell you, don't, because it was a bit of a, I'm chopping and changing here, I'm sorry. But, you what? Know. No, go. But, you know, there was a period there where people came to me and said, oh, I want you to make this, and, and, and the, the feeling I had was that they were sort of alluding that the boards was better then, the surfing was better, and I go, no, no, no. It wasn't at all. I mean, I know how hard I worked and, and, and people like Ted Spencer and Bob, the coalitions, you know, other people, Wines, how hard we worked to make it better. And, and and I said it the other night, I mean, last night, you know, I was just obsessed with it. Anything that got in the way of, of trying to work out what it took to get to where I knew we could get to, I just pushed it away and I just... You know, I didn't care if I was broke or I had nothing. I was just going to go there until I could find it. And I never really got there. 
old age came along a bit quicker. <laughs> but, you know, I remember the hard work and the disappointments and the frustration, and I know that the boards often didn't work. And I, to look back at that as some, at that level, mm-hmm. as some sort of glory is, I just can't know. Not like that at all. Do you ever get envious of the, the kids now? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see them take off in a free fall already in a crouch and they can pull on that rail and stuff like that. And just going, Is that your vision when you, say, when you say, like, I have this vision for, like, where we could go? Is yeah. that what you were thinking? Yeah. You know, like it, you know, and in that film, I talk about you know getting dreams and visions and, mm-hmm. and seeing it, and never quite getting to where I knew it could be. Because as soon as I started doing certain things, or I'd fluke something, or I might even do it a few times, it was hard to get back and do it again. Right. And suddenly, I would make another board, thinking, okay, that's what it's going to take to get to that all the time. Mm-hmm. And the board wasn't as good as the one I last had, that's and so true. suddenly I wasn't even getting anywhere near it. And months and months would go by, and other, you know, make another board, and get more confused, and more lost, and more what's going on, you know. And that's was part of that period, and that's what we were going through. And you know, like in that film, we've just taken a few shots out of many to show some of them, you know, when it was working a little bit better. Mm-hmm. What I was trying to get to, but man, I could, I could take you two hours of the most boring ordinary surfing because the boards were crap. I was sticking to the face and, and bogged down and all that freedom and speed and looseness that we might have had at one point had gone for a while because of the, the bottom curves, mostly in the bottom shape. Were there any moments where you felt like it all clicked? Oh, with yeah. the board, wave, performance... You know, yeah. kind of where you're surfing almost at 100%, I guess. I don't know about the word 100%, <laughs> but where it just felt right. Yeah. The feeling was right. And, the, and yeah, there'd just be a little period right through it all, you know, right through the 60s, 70s where, where that would happen. Um, you know, even in that film, there's just a couple of waves where I can tell what's happened. Just one in Mauritius that I love the one with the cutty and I go back into that barrel mm-hmm. I, it might sound ridiculous I remember that day and I remember that session that, that session was taken late at night I'd been surfing all morning I was just exhausted it was like I think three hours or four hours in the morning and I was just came in I actually changed boards because the swell went down and that that next day it was flooding and that was the only really good day I had in, a, in six weeks we were there <laughs> and all the footage from the morning didn't come out gone. I forgot what happened to the camera or something. But anyway, you know, and then there's a couple of quite ordinary waves in that and I wish we hadn't used, but you can just see the, the difference. There'd just be one really kind of inspired turn wave and then a couple where I'm just kind of feeling it out and the wave's not that great. Because my surfing's really like that. I was never very complete. You know, not like these guys nowadays particularly. Um, if the wave didn't interest me, I, I, I just floated along, you know, kind of you know, wanted to stand up and do what I wanted, and mm-hmm. I couldn't really get into it. That was, you know, I'd just be cruised along and, you know, just enjoying it. But there were certainly those moments, um, and that board was 
a bit of a revival of a board I had a couple of years before and I'd gotten so sick of everything else that I went back to that principle and, re and refined it and that was the beginning of better surfing again. It looked like um, from the footage when you went up to, what was it, Red Bluff? The yeah. Bluff? That board looked like it was working really yeah. nice for you. What was that board? Um, single thing. Yeah? That was when um, the, the Simon Anderson had made the first ones. I was one of the first people to ride them. And I had one with me, which is a couple of shots of that as well. Yeah. There's one I'm going along. I was noticing that. I was like, that's a Simon Anderson logo. That yeah. doesn't look like something you shaped. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I didn't ride it all the time. I'd mix it up a lot. Mm -hmm. And those bigger waves, back then the angles of the fins, you know, hadn't been worked out. That yeah. was the first. Yeah. That was the very beginning. I mean, I don't think there's probably only six of us surfing mm -hmm. on those boards at that point. And the, the fin angles were such that, you know, when the wave got really big, yeah. the board had just slowed right down. Mm -hmm. you, you couldn't um, you couldn't get it driving, and, you know, you'd roll from rail to rail and just go, it's like putting brakes on sometimes. So I kept riding that single thing. And especially on those really driving um, barrels at, at Red Bluff, you know, I'd still prefer the single fin then because you just you could sit in there and just go and go and go and sadly there's no shots of that because we had a couple of days at Red Bluff where the, the waves were coming from right over and just you know, like sometimes you wouldn't even make them at the last bit it'd just, it'd just grab you at the end but the whole ride you wouldn't couldn't even see outside the oh, opening just bending so yeah, much so the single fin was fine I mean all you're doing is taking off sliding under the edge and driving um, I think Jack got a few of those but because we just look at the way there's no person that can come out you know I mean I didn't care I thought it was fantastic I'm not, you know, I don't sort of see surfing as a performance it's a you know it's a relationship and it's a lot of things so I didn't care I think I even said to Jack well put one in there and tell them I'm in there and he said well how are they going to know and I go, well, well fair enough <laughs> What, um, going back to like revisiting, like, was it difficult revisiting the, the more difficult times, you know, where like you had to go into hiding and, um, you know, and obviously the more, you know, sadder, sadder moments? Uh, no, it wasn't difficult. I, I, if you're going to do a film like that, because that film's about me, it's not yeah. through my eyes, it's, yeah. it's a, you know, um, so the only the only thing about any of that that I did regret a bit is that I didn't get to articulate certain um, things that had happened or, or things I was trying to do more fully because mm -hmm. the film has to move. It's the nature of a film. Yeah. It, it has to move on, unlike yeah. a book where you can expand it and you don't have to read it from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. and, so that was probably my biggest regret with the film. But the actual talking about those things uh, didn't bother me too much, even though my daughter's accident, you know, I feel it very strongly because I came around the corner and yeah. found it like, I had to climb in the car and go through the whole thing, so and we all ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder um, but you know the one thing, and Craig was really good about this, he said, you know, we've, we've got to show real life, 
And I said, yeah, that's the only way, only way I'll do it is if we really show what it's like. I mean, we live in an era where celebrity and all the rest of it's quite profound in our in our culture. And I, I'm big on showing the real, the real story. Yeah. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike the original film, I'm all of them. And, you know, I think I was quite happy with that. And uh, I, I would have gone more into certain things. Mm-hmm. And there were certain things I wanted to talk about that I couldn't because Craig just wouldn't submit to it. Um, you know, things like the drug thing, I thought needed to be talked about more. I mean, our, our society is just riddled with it now. And I just got it all out of my life a long, long time ago. And I've had so many friends just fall by the wayside and I've seen so many problems. And I just thought it was worth talking about it honestly and openly, but it just got that little... Little mention, but Yeah. Not. And I was a bit disappointed. Um, for instance, Charlie Bartlett, you know, a good friend of mine, talked about LSD and, and it just sort of finishes with him talking about it. But I actually know Charlie really well and Charlie's will say over and over now, he said, geez, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't recommend it, I wouldn't do it now. But it seemed a little glorified almost. Yeah, and that bothered me. Yeah. It really bothers me in that film, and I, I had a few moments with Craig where I said, no, you know, and I just, I didn't like that. Um, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do regardless of what someone like myself says, but I think a little kid's watching it or or whatever, you know, and I'd go, well, I want them to know what that really is and what the consequences are. I mean, so many good surfers and, and people I know that did surf have just fucked their life up, you know, yeah. did not write that It's okay. But, <laughs> we'll I mean, not it. the word, that word. <laughs> so I don't need to swear, that, you know, but, you know, really their lives are ruined. Yeah. Finished. And Michael Peterson was a perfect example. Yeah. That's a real shame. People go, oh, he was sick and he started taking drugs. It's that's not set true. Off. Not true. I knew Michael really well, and I know what he was into and how early and how much. And even his mum said recently after he died, it was the drugs that screwed him up. It wasn't. I mean, he had a capacity, obviously, for schizophrenia. That's that's. Sometimes the drugs will unlock that rather that's than. That's what it did. Yeah. And it didn't just unlock it; it just unleashed it. Boom, you know. That was it. You know, and Keith Paul, you yeah. guys, do you, yeah. you too young for all this? I know, I am. He has a little more history than I am. I'm, I'm a surfing rain man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could apply it to other parts of my life, but I can't, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, Keith Paul, you know, yeah. underrated, brilliant surf. Really underrated. Oh, Hardly any footage of him. I know. And, and the guy was one of the very, very best. I mean, it, 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 as good as anyone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look what it did to him. Same thing. And Keith was lived such a clean life. He he might have a glass of wine every four or six weeks or something. At the most, that would be even an exaggeration, probably. And certainly in that late sixty or you know sixty seven, sixty eight, when it was becoming a bit fashionable to smoke dope, he wouldn't touch anything. Uh-huh. And then suddenly he got into LSD, and the next time I saw him, he was just not 
in good shape and now it got worse and worse and boom. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I could sit and talk about this for hours yeah. because this is one after the other after the other. And, um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, the thing that I wanted to say in that film was that, you know, there seems to be an assumption in, in by certain people that all a lot of creativity that took place, you know, back in the late 60s and that, whether it be music or art or surfing or drugging was yeah it was somehow influenced by taking whatever drugs as as a, as a means to enhance creativity and it's not mm-hmm. it's true at all you know in fact they don't enhance creativity at all you know and um, there's another word I can't find right now you know or, or produce creative mm-hmm. at all in yeah. fact I think it's the opposite and that's what I wanted to say in that yeah. film. I wanted to go, no. But anyway, we didn't get there, so. Well, we have it in the interview now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I, look, whatever people do, whatever I say may not make any difference, but I, I just think, you know, as a, as a sort of aspect of integrity, I have to say what I believe, and that's, that's something important to me. Because, I mean, I, you know, obviously, I admit to it, there, yeah, smoking, yeah. you know. Do you think surfing enhances creativity? Surfing does. The, exa- the yeah. act of surfing. Um, well, it's a creative act. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's expressive. You're expressing how you feel and how you relate to the that's, wave. And there's a lot of surfers who are just not very creative on the wave, you know? That's, you know, that's <laughs> true. That doesn't make you a yeah. particularly creative surfer, yeah. but it is an expressive action. Right. You know? And I think that's something that has probably got lost a little bit. I mean, at home, I, I haven't got to see people surfing because I haven't been surfing. There's no surf, but even at the ranch, there was no out because it was so small. But at home, you just see guys, they're starting to do their first turn before they get to their feet. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like, if, oh, you know, and, it, and it's just like, slow down, relax. Just let it come to you, mate. You know, it's not about how many turns you're going to do on that wave. You're missing, you know, I mean, this is guys that aren't top level, you know? Yeah. Not just because get it sometimes and other times I'll talk to guys that get my boards about it you know especially when they're trying to find how my board goes you know the sweet spot so to speak and um, you know they understand it generally speaking but boy you see some ugly surfing in Australia now it's not just Australia (laughs) it's not just Australia no it's because everyone grew up on is growing up on thrusters rather than single fins I think yeah, and they're trying to just do as many turns as they can. We Singleton teaches you how to read a wave properly and how to find the power spot and feel your rail. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Whereas a thruster, you generate your own speed. Yeah. So people will butt wiggle to generate that yeah. speed because they grow up on, on a thruster yeah. Yeah. rather than something that's more stable. Yeah. And also something you don't have to move to get speed. So yeah. you can just do it, do all the work. Yeah. And everyone should be learning on that, I always yeah. felt. Well, that's the one good thing about what the way people are experimenting now with everything. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 a part of surfing, modern surfing today I I, I really like. It's it's very open minded, mm. you know, when it comes to design, I guess. Yeah. You know, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. I think. It's fantastic. I yeah. mean my my son rides the layers and all you know I don't know how, how anyone can ride that okay. it's <laughs> <laughs> hard man. But, you know and, and I remember when he first started doing it I said to him this will really improve your surfing because you're, you're, you're all you've got is the edge mm-hmm. and, you're, and he said to me afterwards he said oh, yeah I know what you're talking about when I get on my, my thruster I can really feel a rail now mm-hmm. not to spin so yeah, no, it's good. That's one of the real positives. What um, I'm talking about the selfishness of surfing, you know, and one is like, how do you keep your wife happy when you don't show up for Christmas ten, <laughs> for a week? And, you know, like, I, I guess um, like, you know, how? I mean, it's definitely a very selfish pursuit sometimes. And and you, watching that film, you can, I can't help but think like, you were quite quite selfish at yeah. certain points that's what I said before I was so obsessed I just if the conditions came mm-hmm. there was nothing short of illness or some serious thing in my life that you know, I'd attend to Do but you, anything else sorry this is you know, you know this day's not going to come again this is you know so I'm talking about great yeah not just going for surf yeah um but yeah, no, I can't um, really sit here and justify it. Yeah. And, well, and you know, and do you have any? And you just, you know, you're obsessed. You're in love with what you're doing, and you're trying to get there to that. What I was mm-hmm. talking about, that that level of understanding. And I think Lindy pretty much understood that. She was always good like that. It's incredible. I mean, I know my wife would. She gets upset when I say I'm going to be home at 10 and I get home at 11. <laughs> Three days later. <laughs> wow, I wish. Oh, man. We were, we were after the movie, we were up with Dave and I were like, how do you, how do you get your wife to be okay with that? You know, it's like, it's, I mean, it's funny, but it's also like, do you ever have regret? Like, when you blew off things to go surfing, do you, were there any things where you, mm-hmm. you wish you had had it missed because of surfing, or do you ever feel like, God, you know, surfing sometimes is really getting in the way of other greater things in my life or things that I could be doing? No, not, not really, to be honest. May I be crucified? She's <laughs> lucky she just went out the door on the walk. No, look, as I said, I was very lucky. Lindy yeah. was really good like that. I think, I think right from the start, there was never any doubt about how I was. Yeah, I mean, I've always been pretty honest about mm-hmm. whatever state I'm in. You know, this is yeah. it. 
You want to come along for the ride? Well, okay. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was her choice, in a sense. That's how I am. I, I know that sounds really mercenary, and it is, yeah. I guess, but that's just how I was. Are you I still that now way? Now I'm the opposite. Yeah. I'd put everything else first. Nice. When was and that was that the moment when you first had your kids? That you from that point on. Yeah. Is it just like a switch for you, or was it a little it, bit? Yeah. Was it a little bit of like kind of negative reinforcement, I guess, like um, consequences from making like no, no, it was just came naturally. It was a thing. I was, you know, I never wanted to have kids. I got to tell you, you got yeah. no idea. You've seen a man kick and squeal and. <laughs> <laughs> go, go down fighting <laughs> right to the bitter end. <laughs> I'm just going, you can't do this to me. <laughs> I think this is the end. <laughs> and, you know, I remember my famous well, I said, this is forever. They don't just go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's all like a pet after 15 years, you know. <laughs> I just go, oh my God, here we go. Anyway, you know, and I, I just, I'm, I'm, you know, part lunatic. How am I going to bring up kids? But no, I was there at the birth for both the kids, and I just think it just struck me just what that process of life is, and, and you know, and the pain that the woman goes through to give birth, and you know, and the whole that whole dynamic of, of the creative processes yeah. that is life and then and kids you know once they get past just crying and shitting and pissing <laughs> um, once they get old enough to you know understand what's going on around them you know especially I live in the bush so yeah. you know they became fascinated with you know they start with the ants because they're down so low all the time <laughs> and then lizards and then you know I mean I, I, I'm fascinated by life myself so I really identified with them and it, and it just brought out a whole um, dynamic in my own um, makeup that, that, that really um, was inspiring because they're so creative mm-hmm. kids, you know, especially after about four before they get too locked into school yeah you know and I think and when they got a little bit older I think because I had so much attention at a very young age with surfing, you know, like I was only 15, barely 15 when it started, and that's young, even yeah. younger, really, but on a local level, younger. But you know, internationally, it's 16. It was and it's 16. If you can think back, you know, you you are still a kid, and. I think when my kids grew up a little bit, it was a way for me to sort of relive part of my childhood. That but you missed out been, on? Yeah, I didn't say I missed out on because, you know, I just a lot of years that I was carrying um, that the weight of that attention. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just trying to sort yourself out so yeah. as a person and grow into adulthood and and you've got all this other stuff just landing on expectation and, you know, attention and just going, going on and you know it was it was another way for me to kind of live through that and, and recapture it without any 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 burden or whatever the word is got to experience some go to prom 
<laughs> That's some of the experiences I didn't regret missing out. <laughs> How did you introduce them to surfing? Um, I never wanted to push Jarra. They both, even Marinda surfed when she was really young. Yeah. Uh, I just put it in front of them and just went, no, I'm not going to push them. I, I didn't want my kids to uh, live out some aspect of my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the important thing is just to support, to support them in their life. And it looked like Jarrah wouldn't surf. He took very little interest in it. You know, I'd, I'd take him surfing and I'd kind of, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like, have a, you know, blah, blah. And I nearly drowned him a couple of times when he was <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was just, you know, pretty full on for a little kid. And it really turned him off. You know, he didn't go near it for three or four months. And, uh, twice and then twice again later when he was a bit older and into it but he, he pushed through all that so and then he just suddenly one day went mm, no I'm gonna I'm gonna surf and I think it was more because his mates at school were really into it yeah you know so it's, it's always something I've always been curious about like with parents teaching their kids because it's like I know some parents who force them and some yeah. who are lay off and it's like how do you do that? How do you find that balance so you yeah. can enjoy it? What about like, I mean, it must be, I wonder what, what it's like for your kids to have like, I mean, you are kind of a larger in life character in a sense, you know, not, not to like, you know, like you, you have a reputation and you're very well known. Like, do you ever think about that? And like, do they, or do you ever think about like, how maybe they, if they feel any pressure to fulfill a certain legacy or fill in, uh, foot, 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 follow in your footsteps or fill in your shoes in some ways. Yeah, I, I thought about that a bit, um, especially with Jared because he serves. And I've always said to him, you know, it's just right, like, okay, wait a minute, I'll go back another step. Yeah. You know, I don't really live my life in a way that that's particularly um, obvious, mm-hmm. you know, where I live, or, you know, and the people that are around us, I'm just, just... Normal, you're not like in the Gold Coast and everyone's yeah. like, yeah. you're not followed by paparazzis or anything. Yeah. yeah, and I think that has been really positive for them for that, in that way, and I mean, I never think about it, yeah. I don't, I'm not aware of it until something happens or someone asks me something, and they go, oh, okay, oh yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. And um, I talked to them about it from a very young age. Um, you know, I, I gave them, I said, look, fame's fine. If it comes to you at whatever level, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but don't pursue it, don't grasp for it, and don't think it makes you special. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like you're special just like everybody else. Yeah, sort of thing, you know. And I, I talked to them a lot about that. Um, in fear of something yeah. arriving, you know, arising in um, in their life that would put pressure on them because it's the last thing they want, you know. And I think Jarrah experienced it a little bit when he first started surfing, and he, I think he said a few things to us, just don't worry about it. You don't have to be, you don't have to prove anything, especially you don't have to prove anything to me or yourself. Don't worry about what they say. And that's part of that thing about living your own life. That's, you know, because I saw it happening, and I said, "No, no, just, just, just count on it. It'll go away. Don't worry." <laughs> and it did. 
Yeah, you know, look at home, I see, you know, the ugly parent syndrome at, at football matches, just about running onto the footy over, the, you know, stuff just... Surfing to go, well, what are you doing? You know, let the kid have fun and let him yeah. grow up and let him... So, yeah. I think because that thing I said about pressure on my own life, so young... You were very aware of it. Yeah, just really aware of it. Mm. That's really nice. That's really cool. How, how old is Jared? 23. What is, what is uh, if you don't mind, like, what is what is he interested in? Um, oh, he's a really good drummer. Um, he's in a band. Nice. He's been since they were about 17, I think. 16. Um, he's learning to shape. Um, he, he's got all kinds of qualifications in sport. Um, like, uh, you know, he can... A personal trainer and he can do all that stuff, but he doesn't do it, he just went and is fully qualified. He used to teach surfing. Um, he's doing a bit of modeling and you know, just generally being a 23 year old, he's got a job at an American diner, believe it or not. No way, where? He lived. <laughs> where? Tiny little town <laughs> in Aries Inlet, right, yeah. right near where we live, you know. That's Nice little greasy spoon. Yeah, it's a true American <laughs> diner. The guy, the guy's got sixty antique cars. Epic. Wow. He's a millionaire. He's got a um, freighting business, and so he built this thing as a sort of a hobby business. So he works in that. You know, That's awesome. Next year, I don't know what he'll do, but he, he'll take on something in the next few years. I'm quite sure that um, you know it'll be whatever it really takes his interest. The last questions. One, do you still wear sweaters with collars underneath? <laughs> my brother and I used to emulate you. Like, uh, in high school, I was doing that. Like, I still do it, and my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, wait, Lynch for this. I was actually hoping you'd be wearing that from the front. <laughs> <laughs> Man, my yeah. kids go, Dad, what are you doing? You see the old photo? <laughs> okay, you can't understand. It was different. We didn't care. You just yeah. put on a shirt, you put on something, and you... You know, especially when you grow up in a fishing family, like yeah. it's, it's just you just dress because it's comfortable and warm, or it's you know, you just, someone happens to take a photo of you, and that's so well. <laughs> My brother and I, we we did it. I still do it. <laughs> I love it, and I, I walk out. I, this is gonna sound dorky, but I I walk out. I'm like, yeah. Wayne Lynch, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my kids, my kids just hate it. They run the shit out of me. <laughs> um, I always ask these questions when I do interviews. Um, they're a bit cheesy, but they're fun. They're based off of um, this Inside the Actor's Studio questionnaire, and I certified it. So um, I'm going to ask you these. What is your favorite surf term? Favorite surf term? My mm-hmm. goodness. I would never even thought about this ever. Yeah. Stump Tom Kern. I don't know. I don't know. I've got one. Maybe, um, I don't know. I couldn't honestly say I have a favorite surf term. I don't know. Depends in the context you would ask that, really. <laughs> can you can you narrow that down? What I mean, like, 
what do you like? What, like if you get a sick barrel, like what do you say after? Like what do you like? I'm so fucking stoked, or am I this? I'm not or, saying anything at all. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty austere like that. Um, you, if you have nothing, it's okay. Also, well, but the term, no I, the term I want to say, yeah. or the term that I, I, I look forward to saying yeah. is, it's perfect. That's it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> What's your least favorite? It's crowded. And if uh, heaven exists, what sort of wave would you like to surf forever? Cloud break at 10 foot, about four times as long, or twice as long. Big paddle out, I've got to shorten the ride up a bit. <laughs> Good on you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.